just like to thank uh, those that uh, am I on Tim? Yep. Okay. Just like to thank those that shared this morning. It was um, really impacting. Um, yeah, especially uh, gentlemen's your honesty when you shared this morning about being a struggling Christian. Uh, I think as as Christians that we all struggle and wrestle with sin in our lives. And um, it's really just the perfect work of the cross in Christ, in which we'll share in later, that you know, gives us hope, hope of eternal life and moving on from this world. But um, just for today's message in particular, um, we're going to be looking at the kingship of Christ. Now, it's probably fair to say that kingship or sovereignty or a monarch, as we probably know it in our world and in our culture, is not something that maybe people admire anymore. It's probably something over the last, you could probably study history and see 300 or 400 years where monarchies as such in our society have gradually depleted in respect to maybe how they're revered. Um, There's probably not a lot of reverence in our culture for a monarch. I mean, we can see with um, even, I think it's Charles III, here I am, I don't even know whether he's the third or the second. It's the third, I'm sure. He's going to be anointed in the coronation as king sometime next weekend. And for me, it's like, oh, that's interesting, but I probably don't have the, the awe and respect for that monarch as maybe people would have had hundreds, if not thousands of years ago for a king. But kingship and coronations have been around for a long time. Um, if you want to quickly have a look, I'm not going to turn to it, but in 2 Kings, in chapter 11, there's a ceremony that took place just out of the, the doorway of the temple in Jerusalem. This young man was brought and was led in to be king, so he went to the pillar at the temple, at the front of the temple, at the entrance. A crown was placed on his head. The priest came in, anointed him with oil, and just at the end of that, there was an anthem-like shout and the clapping of hands. And you can read this in God's word. Long live the king. It actually says that at the end of the sentence, at verse 12. Long live the king. I don't know where they held their hands up. Uh, they do it in the movie, so that's why I'm holding <laughs> their hands up. But it seems about right, doesn't it? There's an immense respect for a king and what a king could deliver or bring about in the life of a nation, in the life of us as individuals even, something that we've moved away from hundreds and hundreds of years later. But yet all these coronations that even we have today have similarities to what we read about in Second Kings. Someone is brought forward, someone goes to a temple-like building, someone is anointed, a crown is placed on their head, and I'm sure next weekend when Charles is appointed as king, there will be long live the king. Rightly or wrongly, whether you think it's appropriate or not, it doesn't matter. I just want you to understand that kingship in our society is somewhat degraded. So if it's somewhat degraded and it's less revered than it was hundreds if not thousands of years ago, how do we view the kingship of Christ in our modern-day society. How do we view a king, our Lord Jesus? Let's just pray. 
God and Heavenly Father, as we come before you, um, we recognise you as Lord and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work at the cross that you have done for us, the hope that you have given us. Um, Lord, today we just thank you for those that shared and gave testimony to you as a God who are trustworthy and true. Lord, we thank you. Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak through me this morning. May your Holy Spirit speak to all of our hearts this morning as you can impact us. Lord, we pray. Lord, may we be open hearts for, for what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So this kingship of Christ. So for the modern-day Christian or even just the modern-day non-Christian, what does kingship really mean? Is it something that can be revered? And it's certainly hard for us to appreciate a king. But what was a king in their time of need? A king was someone who was recognised as someone who would give, save a, save a nation, I suppose, against war, against conflict, maybe oppression, maybe famine, maybe economic turmoil. A king was to be a saviour of some sort in some way or another. A king brought about hope for people. So we bring about hope. When we think of our Lord Jesus and the kingship of our Lord Jesus, I was thinking through this week, I thought, you know, our God through the Messiah, through our Lord Jesus, has given this world hope. This morning as we were praying about different needs within our church family, I can't help but think it's underpinned by hope. Hope that we have in a saviour a saviour that has come and put things right in this world. So let's have a look at a little bit of uh, Zechariah. I want you to turn to the book of Zechariah. When I think of kingship, I think of his sovereignty, at Christ's sovereignty, the Messiah's sovereignty. I'll give you some time to find Zechariah. It's just at the end of the New Testament. So just go to Matthew and work back a few books. But this kingship, this sovereignty, if you like, of Christ, the Messiah... You know what? It was promised. It was predestined. It was predicted many thousands of years earlier. In Zechariah, when you turn to the book of Zechariah, go to chapter 9. But I just want to give you some context before just reading a small passage. See, Zechariah ministered to a small group of Jews who had returned to Judah to rebuild the temple and their nation. Like Haggai, he encouraged the people to finish building the temple, but it wasn't just focused on just the physical aspects of the temple. Zechariah told of the Messiah, the one who was coming, that God would send to rescue his people and to reign over the whole earth. Zechariah proclaimed this message of hope to people who had been captives, to people who had been exiles, and his hope was, their king is coming. Let's look at chapter 9. Verse 9. This is a prophecy of what we're going to look at a bit later, and very soon in, in Matthew and in, in Luke, in the Gospels. This prophecy, if you like, was foretelling of what was coming when Jesus was entering as a Messiah into Jerusalem. Verse 9 the coming of the Zion's king, Zion being the people of Israel. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteousness, 
comes to you righteous and having salvation. A king that's coming to give deliverance, to give redemption, is on his way some 500 years before this happens, but this is foretold many years earlier. How's he coming? He's coming riding gentle on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Well, hang on, this is a bit different to what the Israelite, the Jew, would have thought that he wanted to have as a saviour. A person coming in on a donkey, that implies this is a king of peace, not of war. Normally a king would come into a city, he'd probably enter on a white horse, you know, massive white horse, shield, spear, entourage of people around him, and there'd be a sense of battle be able to occur or defence be able to occur for the nation that he was protecting. But Jesus isn't a king of war. We read about this future Messiah being a king of peace. Now let's go to Luke chapter 19, which is sort of a bit more the guts of what we want to be speaking through. So we appreciate that with his kingship and his sovereignty, there's been a Messiah predicted and even happened through the book of Isaiah and there's probably, actually I think there's literally hundreds of accounts of the foretelling of the Messiah who's going to come in the Old Testament. So certainly not going to look through them all. But that one in particular in Zechariah, we see an, an accurate account in Luke 19 and in Matthew 21 of Jesus coming in this triumphant entry, this Palm Sunday. Let's read. In fact, I'll just quickly, before Luke 19, I might go to Matthew 21, because it does actually reference Zechariah exactly. So Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill, here we go, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. See the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus has instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna meaning, save us now. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Just flick back to Luke 19 now, forward to Luke 19 I should say. So Jesus comes in this triumphant entry, this coronation-like ceremony where there were hundreds if not maybe thousands of people leading into Jerusalem. Now at this time, just prior to this occurring, there was lots of miracles that Jesus 
was conducting and there was crowds of people that were starting to grow and realise that there's something special about this man. He must be a man of God to be able to heal in that way. Lazarus was one in particular. There was a lot of people starting to see that Jesus raised this man from the dead. And no doubt the Jewish Pharisees were also starting to get quite irate about what Jesus was doing and who he was proclaiming to be. But in Luke 19, there was another couple of aspects I want to look at. I want to read Luke 19 and start maybe at verse 35. So it's pretty much exactly the same as what happened prior to that in verse 28. They went to a village, the disciples went to a village, got a colt or a donkey, brought them back to Jesus. Um, and here we are at verse 35. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt, put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The kingship of Christ was starting to be recognised. In fact, I think this is the only really event where Jesus is properly glorified in any scale as a Messiah. I mean, this is just days prior to his crucifixion. Just days prior to his crucifixion, people are acknowledging him as the coming Messiah, the coming King. And um, when we see in verse 39, read with me, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, the Pharisees were getting agitated that the, the crowd, there was a crowd swell, if you like, of building up to recognise and glorifying Jesus, who he really was and who he deserved to be. And it was a reminder to me as preparing this this morning that Jesus is really not of this world. And there's one verse that really just stood out to me this week, and that's verse um, 40. So just go back to 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Obviously because the disciples were praising him, saying Hosanna, calling him blessed. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And I thought, well, hey, if they keep quiet, if the people keep quiet and don't praise and worship me, don't worry, guys, the stones will cry out for me. And so it was really impacting to be reminded, and I remind you today, that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King, was not really of this world. He entered this world as a man, and yes, he was fully man, but he was fully God. Because for the fact that even if we stop praising him, the earth itself and creation will praise him, gives us a reminder of really who we're dealing with. And when you start to think about who you're dealing with, when you start to think about this Jesus and how powerful he is, that even the stones would cry out, how does it make us feel about how God can be in control of situations that we're concerned about? Even just today, people got up and shared about situations that were impacting on their life and think, what do I do? What can I do? Well, you know what? We have a right relationship. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, and you're a follower of Christ, you have this right relationship to know that even creation will cry out. Even creation will cry out. 
despite what you do, despite how you worship, God is worshipped, Jesus is worshipped by creation itself. It made me realise, I suppose, gave me more of an impact to realise who Christ really is. You know, as a Christian and as a young Christian growing up, you can know a lot of the facts, you can know a lot of the aspects of being a Christian, you know a little bit about God's word. You know, you might really tune out to the impact of who Jesus really is, the power that Jesus really has, the honour that is really truly his as well, and his need to be worshipped and revered. I tell you, he replied, even if the people keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, there's, there's a few people at this, um, at this triumphant entry. This entrance where Jesus is revered as the Messiah. He's praised, he's worshipped by the people surrounding him. But this is just days before his crucifixion. What we see portrayed on this Palm Sunday when Jesus rides in on this donkey, it not only displays this messianic royalty, but it also displays his humility. You know, there's no other king like this Jesus. He came to be a king of peace. He came to be a king to bring salvation, not to bring war, not to take over lands, not to rule it over principalities or regions, but he came as a prince of peace. Even with the growing following of people that surrounding, surrounding him, a good lot of these people, sadly, were not going to appreciate Jesus as he went to the cross. And in fact, I'd probably fair to say that even when there was people at this event didn't fully appreciate what was happening even the, even the Pharisees didn't because even Jesus said to them, well, if these people are quiet and stop praising me, even the stones will cry out. No doubt there would have been people at this triumphant entry that really didn't know what was going on. They maybe recognised Jesus, the miracles, and thought that there's something different about this man, there's something special about this man, he must be of God. But I also want to reflect on a little bit of this wonderful king that we have, our Lord Jesus. But look at the emotion that Jesus has in verse 41. Verse 41 of Luke 19. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, even... Sorry, he said, if you, even you had only, had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it's hidden from your eyes. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and his people. Even though there's this triumphant entry and people are praising him and acknowledging him in the sire, he saw beyond that. He saw probably what was going to happen at the cross. He saw the brokenness of mankind that he was here to save. He wept for Jerusalem and Jesus weeps for you and for me. He weeps over our brokenness, our disconnect from him, our disconnect from God. But what Christ has done on the cross, what we'll share later in communion, it restores us to him. It gives us hope. Just as when we read about in what was prophesied in the Old Testament in Isaiah and what we read about in Zechariah this morning, they're messages of hope. 
for the Jewish people. They were hundreds of years away from what really was going to happen and when it was going to happen, but they were messages of hope. Today we have the hope of Jesus returning and we know that God's going to come back. Jesus is going to return. He's going to reign supreme and call us home to be him, those that know him as Lord and Saviour. We too have a hope that we're waiting for. But this emotion that Jesus cried out for his people is the same emotion that Jesus has for you. He cares for you and he loves you. I suppose I have a couple of questions that I want to challenge you with. I'm not sure what time I got up, so I'm a little bit out of whack with my time. And that is, um, who are you in this, um, in this uh, event where Jesus is coming in on this, on this cult? We read about there's Pharisees there. We read that there's disciples there. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was many, many other onlookers there as well. My question for you today is the kingship of Christ in your life, what does it look like? We can read in the Old Testament and and read in the New Testament and see that the prophecy has been fulfilled, that the Messiah has come. The Messiah is Jesus. God provided him as a, a lamb sacrifice. He is sovereign. But when it comes to his kingship in your own life and in my life, Where does Jesus stand? Where does Jesus stand in the kingship in your own life? You know, in this event, we can see that Jesus' glory as a Messiah is recognised on earth on a large scale. But sadly, within a short time from this event, it would have been highly likely that people went away from that event forgetting about what they just worshipped. And it's fair for us even today. That happens for us as well even for us as Christians. We could walk out that door, have a wonderful time of worship, walk out that door and our mind is somewhere else. Our mind is quickly taken to somewhere else. Where is the kingship of Christ in our lives? So I ask you three questions. I've got three people, three types of people that I believe that would have been participating and surrounding that triumphant entry on Palm Sunday when Jesus is recognised as the king. And that is firstly the onlooker. Are you the onlooker? You could be sitting here listening, listening in today or sitting in the congregation and you feel like that you've deserted Jesus. After once in your life acknowledging him as Lord and Saviour, but then as time has gone on, you've just walked away from him and just let him be. That happened here in scripture. The hundreds or thousands of people that may be participating on this Palm Sunday when Jesus is walking in on, coming in on this cult and there was worship and there was shouts of Hosanna, King of King, Lord of Lords, blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Within a week, he was on a cross. Within a week, some people didn't want to know him or forgot about him completely. Are you the onlooker that at some stage in your life you've given your life to Christ but now you've just moved away and forgotten about him? Secondly, are you the disciple maybe? There was disciples there in in Luke's account and um, it said they were joyfully praising God in loud voices and, um, and thanking him for all the miracles they had seen. 
And maybe you're a Christian who's a, a bit further down the road and you haven't walked away from Christ. You consider yourself a follower of Christ. But how does Jesus really look as king in every part of your life? Is he, does he have lordship in your marriage, in your relationships, in your workplace, in your time, in your money, in your finances? Maybe you're like that disciple that would praise him and worship him, thank him for the miracles that he has done, but just have Jesus sort of departmentalised in your life as well. You know, is he really Lord of your life? I mean, ultimately, when we give our life to Christ, we're saying we're going to put you first in our life. Do we really put Jesus first in our life? It's one thing to say as a Christian, I recognise him as Messiah and King. It's another thing to live it out every day. It's very hard, as our friend shared this morning. Sometimes being a Christian, I feel like I, I don't really do it very well. Maybe you, you, could be like, you could be like that. So we have the onlooker, the individual that praised God and was happy to worship God and join in the ceremony and really think that I saw the miracles that this Jesus had done and I want to worship him and a week later not want to know him. The disciple who does love Christ, who knows Christ but struggles to put him first in every aspect of their lives, that could be a lot of us here today as well. Or maybe you're the Pharisee. Maybe even though you're in church or listening in, you're the Pharisee and you know what? You couldn't want Jesus further away from you at the moment. Something's occurred where you just feel that, hang on, I just, I don't want a part of Jesus. In fact, I want him gone. Just like the Pharisees were keen to crucify him, get him out of the road. Um, maybe you're at that stage in your life, I, I, I don't know. The Holy Spirit desires to be at work in all of these circumstances for each of us as individuals. Whether you're contemplating Jesus, whether you once knew Jesus and are yet to return to him properly, or whether you're a follower of Jesus and just like most of us struggle to put him as Lord and King of all aspects of your life, what are you going to do about it today? You know, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal saviour, I'd love for you to come and talk to me about it. Maybe you're like that Pharisee that just says, you know, away with Jesus, I don't want anything to do with him. Maybe you're the onlooker that says, oh, hang on, when there's too much pressure, I want to get out as well. Let Jesus be crucified. I don't really know him. Or maybe you're the disciple that just wants to allow Jesus to be Lord in all aspects of your life, king of all aspects of your life. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this time this morning. Lord, um, I just pray that uh, this message, um, which ultimately is from you, um, despite my inadequacies, hits the hearts of each one of us. Lord, I just uh, thank you for um, communion and what we're about to move into, that we can stop and recognise that, Lord Jesus, your Father, God, has given you as this great sacrifice. Lord, we thank you that you are Messiah. We thank you are for your kingship and that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen.
just as we move into a time of communion, I'd love you to stop and think about what Christ has done at the cross. What we're sharing was only, what we're sharing today was only just a week away from when Jesus was moving triumphantly into Jerusalem and he gave up his life not long after. Where do you stand with that? How does that sit with you? Do you truly want to remember Jesus and recall what he has done for you in your life? Maybe you need to stop and pray before you take communion today and just reflect on Jesus. I don't place you as Lord and King of all aspects of my life. Help me today. Um, We'd love for you. If you know Jesus as Lord and Saviour, please take the, the cracker, take the grapefruit. Stop and remember what Christ has has done for you. In Revelation 19, it talks about a king that's going to return. And John talks about this Jesus in a triumphant manner who's going to return one day and call us all home. He's going to overcome evil and principalities. He's not going to be a, a Messiah that's coming in peace, but he's coming in strength, in a strength that will overtake evil in the coming days. Have you got your life right with Christ? Is when the Lord Jesus returns, is he going to be able to say, you're a good and faithful servant? Amen.